Remember the good old days before Microsoft Word had autosave? You'd type up some important document and then your computer would freeze and you'd lose hours of work just because you forgot to hit save? Well, that's what it's like going online without ExpressVPN. Every time you're connected to an unencrypted network, whether it's in an airport, a hotel, a cafe, or anywhere, your online data is not secure. Any person on that same network who knows what they're doing can gain access to your personal data. Bank logins, credit card details, passwords, all the stuff you don't want people seeing. Unfortunately, hacking has become much easier than it used to be. People don't even have to be exceptionally skilled to do it, and there's a lot of money to be made by selling your information on the dark web. ExpressVPN stops hackers from stealing your data by creating a secure, encrypted tunnel between your device and the internet. It's incredibly easy to use. Once the app is running, you literally click one button to get protected. And it works on your phone, laptop, tablet, and more, so you can stay protected on the go. I've been using ExpressVPN for a little while now, and I can rest easy knowing my info is safe and secure. I've heard horror stories of people who've been hacked, and it sounds like a massive pain to try to get any resolution in the aftermath, so I am not interested in finding out what that process is like. Secure your online data today by visiting expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash slashfilm, and you can get an extra three months free. expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. This year has gone by incredibly quickly, but it's always nice to pause and take stock. What's something you're proud of in 2024 so far? What's something you still want to accomplish this year? I know I'm guilty of falling into a routine and not always thinking about the bigger picture, but as the great Ferris Bueller once said, life moves pretty fast. If you don't stop and look around once in a while, you can miss it. So it's crucial to take a moment to celebrate your wins and make adjustments for the rest of the year. Therapy can help you contextualize your progress and set achievable goals for the next six months. As you surely know by now, it's not only for people who have experienced major trauma. Therapy is helpful in all kinds of ways, including learning positive coping skills and how to set boundaries. If you've been considering trying therapy, check out BetterHelp. It's fully online and was specifically designed to be flexible and customizable to your schedule. To get started, just fill out a brief questionnaire that matches you up with a licensed therapist, and you can switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Take a moment. Visit BetterHelp.com FilmDaily today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, dot com slash film daily. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Slash Film Daily for September 5th, 2018. On today's episode, we're going to discuss what we've been up to at the water cooler. Uh, this is Slash Film Editor-in-Chief Peter Soretta, and joining me on today's podcast is Slash Film Managing Editor Jacob Hall. Hello, hello. Weekend Editor Brad Oban. Hey, that's me. Senior Writer Ben Pearson. Hey, what's going on? And writer Y Tran Bowie. Hey, everyone. Uh, so, guys, uh, we're recording this on a what is this Wednesday? Yes, Wednesday. <laughs> this week is so weird. Uh, Chris is not joining us today because he is on his way to Toronto to cover the Toronto International Film Festival for us on SlashFilm.com. So look up, uh, look out for his reviews and updates from that film festival on the site. Uh, but let's jump into the water cooler because, uh, you know, we almost have like a week and a half of material here. And, uh, you know, there was the the holiday weekend, so there's a lot more to discuss. Um, I'll start things off. Uh, I recently went to the Magic Castle, as I am a member. Um, a f- few months ago, I recounted the story on, on the water cooler of how I was mistaken for this magician named Nader um at the magic castle and i thought i would just provide a small update to that uh i was walking through the magic castle and i i walked by nader who i've never actually met 
and he stops me and says, Peter? And I was like, uh, yeah. I was surprised he knew who I was. And he's like, my sister Google searched my name and was searching for stuff for me and sent me your story on Twitter. <laughs> and uh, and I, I'm glad to finally meet you. So uh, I just thought it was funny that I finally got to meet uh, Nader, my uh, my double, my mag- magician double um, at the Magic Castle. Um and uh, three months later, after the story happened, someone can – that just goes to show you if you put a story out onto the internet, it uh, it can be found months later or as in the case of uh, James Gunn's jokes a decade later. Um, <laughs> we may have said this three months ago, Peter, but are you guys now working on like a prestige-style <laughs> double act? We should. We, we definitely should. Uh, he's more of a mentalist. I'm not a mentalist. I mean, I'm not sure if a double act – would uh be required like if there's any benefit for that in mentalism um but uh we were planning on getting a photo together outside the castle but it didn't happen last night so eventually it might happen you'll see it on social media but uh enough of magic because i know not everybody wants to hear about magic here i wanted to uh share my experience this past uh labor day i went to a thing called the five minutes game and uh, what this thing is, it um, it honestly sounds like something that the Alamo Draft House would have done for years, but it isn't. Um, it uh, it started in a video store in Los Angeles uh, over a decade ago, and what they would do is uh, anytime someone who had a birthday that worked um, on the regular staff at the store, they would shut down at night, and everybody. And on staff would go find five videotapes that they have never seen that, you know, they think no one has ever seen. And they would get gathered together and uh, combine all those videotapes and show the first five minutes to the staff. And they and the uh, they would vote on which movie they were going to watch. So this was later turned into an event at CineFamily. Uh, it was held every uh, Labor Day and um, also... I think um, every Memorial Day and occasionally Halloween. And uh, basically what it is, the same thing. So they show the first five minutes from 15 different movies that uh, are not available on DVD, uh, Blu-ray or streaming. So these are not like, you know, the movie that your mom hasn't seen. (laughs) These are the movies that like you guys wouldn't, I don't think any of you probably have will recognize any of the titles that I'm about to list off here. Um, And uh, so so you watch the first five minutes and everybody votes on a piece of paper. They vote for their top two movies and uh, the consensus. uh, They play the movie that had the, the, the biggest consensus of a uh, favorite uh, movie out of the first five minutes. Um, I just want to say in advance, guys, that as I grow older, I'm, I'm starting to uh, really become disillusioned with the popular vote <laughs> and what when people gather together, what they decide to <laughs> to uh, vote on. Uh, it doesn't usually end up being the best thing in in, in general. Uh, and, and, and you'll see it here it probably is the same case. Uh, okay, so... Um, and actually, I, I should say it's worth mentioning that a few of the times that they've done this, 
the movie that they played was so bad that uh, basically the whole theater voted like 20 minutes in to shut off the movie and play the second place winner. Um, that did not happen in our screening, but um, I, I wanted to go, go over uh, some of these movies, uh, the, the kind of selections you would see in the five minutes game. Uh, so the, the first one on uh, the five minutes game was a, a film called Suing the Devil, which is a 2011 Christian comedy, I guess, court case. Uh, it's about um, a night law student whose mother is killed by a drunk driving, uh, killed in a drunk driving accident, and uh, he plans to kill the guy that somehow got off uh, with the murder charge, and uh, he somehow comes to the realization that uh, this guy is not responsible for this, but th- that person that's responsible for all the evil in the world is the devil so uh he has had enough and is filing a class action lawsuit against the devil uh who's played by malcolm mcdowell in this movie who's a producer uh so that's what happens in the first five minutes of that movie uh the fishman and their queen which is this 1995 post-apocalyptic sci-fi story following teenagers living in a devastated landscape uh there's like these stormtrooper-like guys on horses that look crazy. Uh, there's a film called Come On Children, which is this 1970s Toronto documentary, which is like they got these teenagers to live together on a farm together. Uh, they uh, There was a movie called Help Help the Global Links, which is a late 60s foreign film, uh, an opera for kids about aliens invading the Earth. Uh, very, very experimental. Uh, the Cell Phone, a series of vignettes uh, about people talking on cell phones. Uh, Pussy Soup. By the way, when you walk into this event, they hand you the list of the movies for the voting tally. And, uh, you know, when we saw Pussy Soup, we assumed it was going to be something, you know... Uh, bordering on the x-rated uh turns out it's a japanese movie uh following a puppet cat who doesn't want to be uh uh his father is a cat model and he doesn't want to be a cat model like his father and uh apparently this movie is based on a famous comic book uh anyways uh another a couple other of the book uh, the movies i'm not going to go through all of them uh but um Cry Wilderness, a mid-80s film about a kid who claims he met Bigfoot and adults don't believe him. Uh, Wacky Taxi, a film, a 70s comedy about a guy who quits his laborious factory job and I guess starts a taxi service. That didn't happen in the first five minutes, but uh, it's a John Aston movie. Um, and uh, I'm going through this list right now. Uh, Rise and Shine. Or I guess internationally it's called Hey Babe, which is Yasmin Bleece's first film uh, starring Buddy Hackett. It, I don't know what it's about, but an orphan breaks in. I don't know. It, it's about an orphan. Um, and the, the last one that they showed us uh, in this in this uh, montage of five-minute uh, clips was a film called Demon Wind, a, uh, a horror film from, I think, 1990. Uh, as far as I can tell, it takes place in a boarded up cabin, which is being, uh, plagued by a wind that brings a demon who violently kills the, the woman in the first five minutes. Um, 
And that one, I guess, is the only one that's available on streaming. I guess it's available on Amazon Prime. Uh, I wanted to ask you guys, what, what would you have voted for out of the list I gave you here? And and uh, Jacob, have you seen Demon Wind? I feel like yeah. that. Oh, you have. You discussed Demon Wind on 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 this podcast before. Oh. Uh, I own the Blu-ray of Demon Wind, and Matt Donato wrote a big article about Demon Wind for the site. Yeah. I am the world's biggest Demon Wind fan, Peter. That's a movie <laughs> I would vote for in a heartbeat because the rest of it is amazing. What, what about you guys, Brad? What would you have voted? What would you have liked to have seen out of that list of uh, of crap? Uh, I, I would have left and gone <laughs> to see something else. HG, any, any preferences? I feel like you would have been a uh, a um, what should we call it? A pussy. Uh, what the heck's the name of the movie? Pussy soup. Pussy, pussy soup person. That's, that's actually the one I was gonna name. I've, yeah. <laughs> I've actually seen several uh, Japanese TV dramas and movies that have talking cats in them. So it would, it sounds totally up my alley. And <laughs> like played by stuffed animals too for some reason. I don't really know why. So I am down to watch that. The Bigfoot one sounded like it could be fun, especially if after the kid tells the adults about Bigfoot, the Bigfoot starts killing the adults. I don't think that's that. I think this came in the wake of like E.T. I looked on IMDb after the fact. I, I guess I'm spoiling the fact that I have not that was not the movie but uh it has like a two out of ten rating on itv <laughs> so uh i don't think that was good uh ben what would you have liked to have seen or would you have walked out uh man i, I i'm right between brad and ht on this one i probably would have left but if i stuck around i think pussy soup is the one that i would actually have wanted to see um i i gotta paint, paint a better better picture of this guy it's like this is an interactive cinema experience like these five minutes are show show of uh, uh, these five minutes of these movies are showing on the big screen and the crowd is like into it it, it is like the 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 loudest uh i mean I, I i can imagine if chris was here he would be groaning <laughs> but like you know people laughing and booing and cheering and it, it's just like a fun experience uh but as i said I, I'm very disillusioned in the popular vote. Uh, the uh, number three was Pussy Soup. Number two was the film Wacky Taxi. And the the film that won is called Suing the Devil. That was the first film that I mentioned. And I, I'll talk about that in the what we've been watching section. But I'll, I'll wait until then to, uh, to tell you about that film. Um, yeah. Okay. Brad, what have you been up to? So uh, my girlfriend was in town from Utah for the extended weekend. So we were hanging out and just doing a lot of things around town, seeing friends and all that jazz. And we spent a couple days in Chicago towards the tail end of her trip. And so part of that uh, included going to a show at the Laugh Factory in Chicago, which is a comedy club. There's several locations uh, all around the, the country. And they were doing a show that's called Afterthoughts, where... They have several comedians come up and do like a 10 to 15 minute set. Uh, and then after that, they have there's a, t- a table of comedians on stage watching the set and they write down basically one liner roast jokes about the set that are read after their performance. And they, they sit up there and have to to take it. And uh, it was pretty damn hilarious. The roast jokes are, are just as harsh as the kind of jokes you'd hear on like the roast on Comedy Central and stuff. And uh, it was really funny just to see 
you know, comedians mocking each other, but also, you know, still doing their, their material. So that was a good time. Uh, and then uh, more on uh, our side of uh, things that people listening to this podcast might enjoy, I checked out uh, a new, an exhibit that's at the Museum of Science and Industry called The Science Behind Pixar, which was pretty damn cool. It's probably the most in-depth explanation of Pixar's production process that you'll ever get a chance to see. Even as somebody who has, you know, uh, followed Pixar movies very closely, has done, uh, you know, press days at Pixar where they explain a lot of different things about how their movies are made. Um, there were a lot of cool things that were explained in much more detail, stuff that I had wondered about for a while, like things like, or, or they talk about uh, populating a setting with uh, blades of grass um, and just, just different things about modeling and, and layout and re rendering and all of the different steps that go into making a Pixar movie. And what's cool about it is it's also pretty interactive. They have a lot of uh, workstations where you get to do part of what Pixar animators do on a very simplified level. Uh, like you get to lay out the pieces of like a set in, uh, in a room. Like one of the things they have is you're able to move around um, different pieces of furniture and things to make a room like in Monsters University. They have another setup where you can adjust the facial expressions and features of a character. Um, they, but it's, and it's, it, they also tie it into like for, you know, for, for kids and adults alike, it also ties it into math and science and how math and science are used to create animated movies that Pixar does. And it, it even dives into, you know, just the idea of 3D space and the, you know, um, X and, uh, and, and Y and Z axis and how they imagine, you know, the, these characters and settings in a three-dimensional space inside the computer and it's, it was just it was really really cool and if you're in the chicago area at any point uh make sure you go check it out because it, it's an awesome exhibit hc you also went to a museum exhibit this week right yes yes i did i um spent a day in dc with my cousin and we wa wandered around um first we went to the uh no spectators the art of burning man exhibit at the renwick gallery which is one of the smithsonian uh, museums and it was a really interesting look at the burning man at first i thought it was a bit pretentious kind of um uh presenting this fest this counterculture festival in this very uh artistic light but the exhibits um was actually very cool. Uh, a lot of the um, the art installations were amazing and um, made really great use of like of LED lights and uh, modern technology as well as sort of more a uh, uh, more uh, simple sort of wood structures as well. Uh, and it's kind of it was really amazing to learn about the history of Burning Man as well as to, to like learn how they just lug these giant art installations out into the middle of the Nevada desert. So it was a really cool exhibit. There was, um, wait, wait a second. Um, so th this had uh, things from burning in. I, I thought the whole idea was to burn everything down. At the end they of the do burn everything down, but they basically built them up again for this, um, <laughs> this exhibit, I think, or at least they were small uh, versions of it. Like these are all experimental art installations. They're, fairly lightweight and everything. Um, they even had like a, a, a uh, recreation of the wooden temple that they have at the center of each Burning Man festival, uh, which they burn down every year. But it's really amazing in that it's just so intricate and beautiful. And it kind of did remind me a lot of the temples that I visited when I was in um, Thailand. It had this sort of reverential atmosphere to it. Although the Thailand 
temples are actually quite a bit more gaudy than that. But it's made of wood. It's very simple, um, except for like the, the wood carvings that are all along the walls. And they allow you to um, sort of take these little wood blocks and write uh, prayers or wishes or um, sort of things in memory to people who you love who might be deceased and stick them on the wall. So it was really cool and immersive. Uh, a lot of this um, exhibit was really immersive, actually. There's one thing that was like a giant glowing mushroom uh, that you could step on this sort of uh, uh, sensitive pad uh, at the bottom and it would basically like, expand or um, and other things. So it was, it was very cool. It was a cool exhibit and it was a very interesting sort of um, display of all the art that that is being done at the Burning Man, which is something I didn't really expect because I, I, like a lot of other people, have the sort of um, uh, perception of Burning Man being just kind of a big party festival. But I, it, I could see after seeing that exhibit, my mind being changed about it and uh, it being more about art and I guess counterculture in a way too, though I feel like that's been lost over the years. So that was a really cool exhibit. I highly recommend going to it, although I think it's ending soon. Uh, no, actually it's ending January 21st in 2019. So if you are in DC and you happen to have some time, I recommend going to the No Spectators, the Art of Burning Man exhibit at the Renwick Gallery. Um, so, and then I ended up also going... It, it, it should also be mentioned the science behind Pixar is running through January 2019 as well. Oh, nice. Very long exhibits. Um, so I ended up also going to the uh, National Portrait Gallery that day too, where they hold the, uh, port the, the official portraits for Barack and Michelle Obama separately for some reason. Uh, Barack Obama is in the Hall of Presidents, which makes sense. And then Michelle is in the um, Great Americans exhibit, which also has a portrait of Beyonce there. So it, it was very cool. <laughs> it was, of course, very crowded because it was Labor Day weekend. And Michelle and Obama always have, and Barack Obama always have uh, just crowds, people waiting to take pictures alongside them. And that was a lot of fun. Um, I ended up also going to, this is a full day in D.C. for me, uh, the National Book Festival towards the end of the day. I closed out my day with that, uh, which was being held at the uh, convention center in D.C. And it had a, a whole slew of authors that were speaking there, uh, such as Roxane Gay, um, uh, Amy Tan, um, who else? Jeff Jeffrey Eugenides, I think that's how you say his name. He's the author behind Virgin Suicides and Middle Sex. But a lot of great authors. And um, I didn't get to go to any of the panels because I was just exhausted from walking around all day. But I went to the merch uh, area where they were selling all the books by these authors. And um, I bought a lot of a, a few too many books. I don't really have a, a good... Um, like the, I, I know how you guys uh, buy a lot of merchandise that's like geek related. Like you, but you guys buy a lot of Funko Pops and posters. For me, the one thing that I can't stop myself from buying are books, and I end up spending like about almost a hundred dollars in book stuff to, at this festival. Uh, they were all full price, so that was kind of the reason. But I bought uh, two Roxanne Gay books because I had never read any of her works. Uh, the World of Wakanda and um, the, her memoir, Hunger, as well as Bad Feminist. And I also bought uh, this book, Pachinko, which I'm really excited to read. I heard a lot of good things, uh, especially from the one woman who saw me buying it and was like, that's a great book. So Pachinko, aren't those those Japanese like pinball machine kind of things? Um, I think is, I but right? it's yeah, you're probably right. Uh, yeah, it's a mechanical game from <laughs> from Japan, but yeah. Uh, yeah, it's a it's a book actually by a Korean author, I think, and it's it's a uh, set in um, 
sort of historic Korea. So I'm quite excited to read it. Very cool. Jacob, what have you been up to? Uh, I didn't have nearly as many exciting things happen to me, so I'll just be brief. I discovered that Ikea is now producing a 3 by 3 Calex Cube shelf. <laughs> and for those of you who have board game collections, you may know Calex Cubes. They're the um, square-shaped uh, cube shelves that Ikea makes in various colors that are the perfect size uh, for board game collections. And since this brand new size of 9 cubes now exists, I was able to redo my board game room to uh, expand and accommodate more space. But I'm officially out of room now. It means that when time comes to buy more shelves, I need to start getting rid of things instead of expanding shelves. So that's where I am with that. that you're was my you're not out project. of room. I, I saw that you could build up even more. I could build up, but then I'd be taking away valuable art space. And I feel like having space in the walls for art <laughs> helps break the room up and make it look attractive. And I got to make it. it is, this game room is the first room you see when you walk into my home. Uh, so the, the deal with my wife is that it has to look pleasing. It has to be a room that... We walk in, it looks like a good room. And right now, it looks like a really good room. There's pictures on my Twitter account if you ever want to see those. Is your but, game room a, originally supposed to be a dining room? It is a dining room, and we still uh, have meals in there. We have our, our fancier meals in there. There's still plenty of room to eat. But my wife and I usually eat in our kitchen when it comes to day-to-day eating. So it, it is more a game room than a dining room, but it does serve that double purpose. Very cool. Let's move on uh, H- to what we've been reading. HT, you talked about buying some books. Uh, have you been reading any? Yeah, I started reading The World of Wakanda, which is the uh, book by Roxane Gay and Tanahisi Coates. I'm sorry if I pronounced that wrong. It's the um, the comic book uh, that centers around the Dora Milaje, and it's set before Tanahisi Coates' uh, Black Panther number one. Uh, it's centered around a love story between two Dora Milaje uh, members, Ayo and Anika. And it kind of tells the sort of Zeppo-like story in terms of just being sort of on the periphery of the action that's going on in the world of the Marvel Comics universe. But uh, is you, they kind of get involved every now and then, and you see cameos from T'Challa and Shuri every now and then as well. But it's centered around their love story and the conflict that comes comes uh, with it as well as the sort of the, uh, the the tension that takes place within some of the Dora Milaje ranks. And it's a really good um, comic book issue, which I, I don't buy a lot of comic trade issues, but um, and I have, I'm not really caught up with a lot of what's going on in the canon of the of the Marvel comics. But this was a really good sort of entry point for me and because it's centered around sort of side characters who are really compelling and really rich. See, I really wish I, – I know I've said this in the past on, on this podcast, but I really wish Marvel and Disney, now that they're doing this streaming service, would do a Wakanda TV series. I feel like I want to explore that world in a bigger way, not just with you know uh, Black Panther and like the big characters. I want to explore you know the streets in that culture more. I think that would be a lot of fun. And I'm actually going to add this to my list of uh, comics to check out. Uh, let's move on to what we've been watching. Uh, I started watching Ozark Season 2. I was a uh, a rather big fan of the first season of Ozark, which is kind of, um, I guess you'd call it Jason Bateman's Breaking Bad. It's kind of like Breaking Bad meets Justified. If that sounds like a good show to you, you should check it out. Um, the Season 2... Uh, is a little bit different. It's almost like they add this kind of like element of uh, political maneuvering that's from like House of Cards. So if 
Breaking Bad meets Justified meets House of Cards seems like your thing. Make it up to season two of Ozark uh, season two. Uh, one thing does occur to me watching this show, and it, it, I've been thinking about it a lot now that like we're in this binging culture where we binge watch a whole season of TV and it takes, you know, a lot longer till we actually get season two of that program is like when it picks up, uh, even though they have this kind of clever like, um, you know, here's what happened on season one uh to catch you up it, it seems to me i'm not sure if you guys have the same experience but i'm having a lot more trouble remembering what happened from the first season maybe because of the length that it's been since that season you know dropped on a, a streaming platform maybe it's because i watched all that stuff in one day and it wasn't like uh you know cycling through my memory for months while i was getting my way through episodes have you guys found this at all uh, personally, I haven't, but I think that maybe a, I understand exactly what you're saying is what I'm trying to yeah. say, which is that uh, when you watch, for example, Breaking Bad or Game of Thrones, as two popular examples, you are watching with that show and living with that show week after week. And in the seven days between episodes, you're talking about it and thinking about it and discussing it and maybe th- swapping theories about who goes where, what happens, what's what's going to go down. Yeah. But with a show you binge, you just binge all at once and you a year passes and you know, you don't live with the show as long. It's it's sort of a brief affair instead of a relationship. And that's something I've always had. I've always had that same problem with streaming shows. It's why for some shows, I will watch an episode or two and take a break and then wait a day or two before I keep watching because I don't want that to happen with, like, The Crown, a show that requires your constant attention. So I know exactly what you're saying. Uh, and something that I've actually... I'm very curious about that being a thing that affects how we actually consume and talk about TV going forward. I found that that's the case for a lot of Netflix shows, too, because of how they're structured to be like one long movie. And like one of my favorite parts of think aspects of TV is that uh, every episode can be its own story, can be its own chapter and one long arc uh, and yet still be a good story that you can re- revisit um, on its own without the con- sometimes with the context of others, but sometimes without. And um I found, I found with the Netflix structure with uh, Ozark and other series that it just kind of all blends together because it's supposed to be all one long 80-hour movie. <laughs> and that's the thing. Like, one long 80-hour movie kind of gets just blurs together at the end. It all becomes a little bit exhausting. And I hope that maybe, like, in addition to maybe shortening seasons a little bit, Netflix will get better about instituting chapters and something that's more definitive along with each episode of their shows. Yeah, I feel like... Uh, they could learn something from comics. I, I feel like the best comics, um, when you start out a, a new arc they, or whatever, they, they kind of start off and like kind of reintroduce you to the characters in the situations in a way. But like, like you said, this is treated as like one long, huge movie. So you're not getting that kind of like brought back up to speed with everything that you usually I think do in uh, typical like network shows and stuff like that. Um, another thing I, I wanted to point out, um, are any, have any of you watched Ozark season one? No, I, I, it's one of those shows that slipped through the cracks for me entirely. I watched the first episode, but I never got into I it. I got into it. Um, one of the interesting things they do is at the beginning of each episode in like after the cold open, they have the Ozark logo and it's this, O. And then they have like these four images inside the O, which are kind of clip art images, like uh, one color clip art images. And 
it's kind of foreshadowing things that are going to happen in that episode. And it's something that took me, like, I feel like till the middle of the first season to realize that. But now that I've realized that, every time that it comes up, I, I kind of wonder, is it a spoiler? Like, for instance, you know, one of the episodes this season, uh, we see there's a car crash. There's an image of a car crash, a clip art image of a car crash. And it's, like, in the fourth corner, so that we know that's, like, probably going to happen in the, you know, the last fourth of the episode. There's some kind of car crash. So now, like, like now I know that there's some kind of car crash going to happen, but they almost, like, play with it in a way that's fun where, like, there's multiple characters in cars and you keep on, like, wondering, like, oh, is this when it's going to happen? And it, it kind of – I almost feel like they tease – like, they are using it to tease your with your emotions of, like, who is actually going to get into the car crash. Does that make sense? Um, it, it's interesting. I, I'm, I'm curious uh, what, what you guys think. Like, would – if you were watching a show like this, would you close your eyes during this uh, logo reveal or would you uh, indulge in the uh, teasery images and try to figure it out along with the episode? Oh, you know, I would, you know I'd close my eyes, Peter. I, I try to close my eyes for the opening credits of Mission Impossible movies because they sort of flash through <laughs> a lot of the uh, the action scenes that happen later in the film. Kind of indulge is there for a reason. It's a choice. HD? Uh, I don't mind. You don't mind? <laughs> yeah. Brad, how about you? Uh, I mean, if it's there, it's like, then it's obviously not really going to ruin anything. So I, I'm, I would probably not close my eyes. Okay. Anyways, let me move on and tell you about the movie I saw at the five minutes game. And this is a movie called uh, Suing the Devil. Um,. It is, uh, first of all, I learned after the fact that the LA Times reported that this film was one of the most illegally downloaded movies of 2012, um, which is strange because I've never heard of this movie before. Um, huh. Yeah, it's, uh, okay, so it, it's, after the first five minutes, what basically happens is he decides to file a lawsuit against Satan, which is basically laughed out of the courtroom, but then Malcolm McDowell shows up as Satan to defend himself and go to trial. He does. Uh, there's some really crappy special effects proving that he's Satan. And, um, 90% of the rest of the film is this court case between a guy trying to prove that the devil is responsible for all that's bad in this world. And the devil's lawyers trying to prove, uh, that this guy, watches internet pornography and stuff i don't know it's a really strange movie uh it's um it also has this group it it, it, uh i'm trying to figure out what to explain about this movie and what needs to be said about this movie um there is a lot of this the enjoyment of this movie is malcolm mcdowell uh kind of uh chewing on the idea of being able to play this over-the-top version of satan who's living on this earth in a court trial and some of that is fun but most of this movie is laughably bad and i i think that's the point like uh 
even though it's trying to be a comedy at times, I think there's like a point where uh, Satan is on the stand and he yells, uh, you can't handle the truth. So like it's trying to be funny at times. But what's funny about the movie is actually what I think they didn't intend to be funny. And uh, there's some weird, like almost like ignorant racist moments. For example, like Satan goes off on this tirade, uh, tirade uh, this monologue basically admitting to uh that he was responsible for car bombs and gangster rap um and uh the, i don't know this movie is it's just weird and bad there this movie's supposed to be like the trial of the century it's supposed to be the whole world is watching they keep on cutting to just this one family in pakistan watching on tv uh it's filled with long laborious monologues uh it's uh <sighs> In, in the closing remarks of the trial, our hero says, we make mistakes and God forgives us. At that point, someone in, in the audience and in, in the crowd of my theater shouted, not this mo- not for this movie. Um, and uh, as much as my crowd was enjoying this movie, it, they were into it. There was something that happens in the last few minutes of this movie that had the entire that like basically had the entire crowd turn on it and boo the screen um fuck it i'm gonna say it because you guys aren't gonna watch this movie no one here is gonna watch this movie so spoilers for suing the devil but our lead character wakes up and it was all a dream oh that's infuriating (laughs) yes (laughs) wow yeah uh so there's that. Um, it's absurd, ridiculous. Uh, maybe someone's going to seek this out and watch it. I, I wouldn't recommend it. I think it's supposed to be kind of like one of those Christian faith-like films. I don't, know, I don't even really get the message of the movie. But, uh, yeah, so that was my weekend. I, I had a lo- I had a fun time, though. It was, it was As much as it sounds like it was all bad movies and all whatever, it was, it was a fun experience watching that with the crowd that was there um it was it was a very uh entertaining and interactive uh film going experience uh brad what have you been watching so i finally got around to seeing crazy rich asians uh after all of the hype that was surrounding it uh, i waited to see it because my, my girlfriend specifically requested that i wait so since she was here this week when he finally took the time to go see it and honestly, before I saw it, I was thinking to myself that there's no possible way it could uh, live up to the hype. You know, I, I thought people had built it up too much, and I figured that it would just be all right. But I absolutely loved it. It it exceeded my expectations that were created, you know, by the hype behind it. It's just so good all around. It has the feel of a classic romantic comedy. All the characters are so well drawn. I actually found myself wanting, you know, more of the supporting characters, especially the ones, you know, played by uh, Ronnie Chang and Jimmy Yang. And I just, I, I just loved it so much. It's, it's touching. It's, it's funny. It's uh, cinematic. John M. Chu knocked out of the park. It's just so full of life and vibrant. Uh, and I, I just, I loved every second of it. It's, it's so good. And that wasn't the only thing you saw. You also saw another film with Asian characters. Uh, I did. Yeah. I, I saw searching again. Uh, I had already seen it at Sundance earlier this year, but uh, I, I enjoyed it so much. I knew it was the kind of movie that my uh, mom would love to see, and my my girlfriend was up to see it uh, after she watched the trailer, uh, and even my dad came along for it, and they all absolutely loved it. And watching it for a second time was so fun because um, my theater wasn't necessarily packed, but there was there was a, a decent crowd of people in there, and 
listening to the murmurs as some of the twists and turns unfold and the suspense picks up was just really, really fun. Um, and honestly, the suspense and tension uh, in this movie are still there even on a second viewing. Um, it's it's so well-crafted and like you wouldn't think that a movie that unfolds entirely, you know, on mobile and computer screens would be able to pull this off, especially on repeat viewings. Um, but it's, it's very much engaging and it is, it's definitely a, a good thriller. Yeah. I, I mean, a lot of the fun is the creative constraints and, and how they cleverly use that. I'm interested to see it again because they're, you know, you're seeing a computer screen. So there's a lot going on that, uh, I've been told there's a lot of Easter eggs and fun kind of references in, you know, the sidebars, if you will. Uh, if if you're looking around the screen, but uh, I feel like I would just be invested again in the story and probably not paying paying attention to much of that. Um, did did you see anything interesting a second time that uh, Easter eggy kind of references? Um, I without spoiling anything, yes, uh, okay. I definitely I noticed I definitely noticed a couple of things um, that foreshadow a, a little bit. Um, and yeah, it's uh, there's there's definitely a couple, uh, some things to notice. Jacob, you also saw Crazy Rich Asians. Uh, yeah, I, it took it took me long enough, but uh, my wife, who's a big rom com fan, uh, really wanted to see it, and we were waiting for the right time for us to see it together. And she loved it. I loved it. Movie is just a total blast. It's beautifully shot, and I love how I love how it shoots Singapore in the same way that other rom coms have always shot France and in England, and in sort of lavish, glorious, touristy way that shows off how lovely this place is. But it's a city we never see highlighted in that way. But the movie is just wonderful and so much fun. And I am really excited to see the sequel, knowing that's coming now. Uh, but and on the opposite end of the spectrum, I finally started watching Netflix's Mindhunter, uh, which premiered earlier this year, if I remember correctly. Was it last year or earlier this year, guys? Do you remember? I don't. Uh, this year has been <laughs> a blur. It's like five years. Yeah. yeah. Well, either way, it's really good. Uh, speaking of things I watched my wife, my wife's a big David Fincher fan. Uh, she puts on Girls Dragon Tattoo and Gone Girl just to relax. <laughs> so, uh, so Mine Hunter was very much up her alley, and she and she's one who finally said, "We gotta watch this." So he did, and months and months late, but that show is really good, and I love how it mines so much tension out of people in rooms talking to each other. I mean, so much of that show is interviews of these two FBI agents in the seventies sitting down with serial killers and asking them questions, and these long, long conversations that go in twisted, unsettling directions, and Watching these people talk and watching how each other, how the actors react to each other, often without words, is fascinating. And I love even when Fincher doesn't direct the episodes; he directs the first two and the last two of the season. There's that attention to detail and that sort of uh, clinical uh, um, attention to process and human reaction that you see in a lot of his movies. And Mindhunter is really good. And it, and unlike a lot of Netflix shows, I feel like each episode feels like a a pretty solid meal. I feel like as a beginning, middle, and end, and it leaves me wanting more while feeling a complete episode of television. So, congrats, Netflix. More like this, please. And uh, Brad wasn't the only one rewatching Searching. HT, mm-hmm. you also rewatched Searching. Yeah, I saw Searching again. This time I took my mom, and I had basically the same experience as Brad. It was really fun seeing a lot of the foreshadowing that the film actively plugs into the early parts of, uh, of the film to, it, with in per, pertaining to the twist that happened later on. And they're very subtle, but they, they really work the second time you see it. And um, my, it was fun also just hearing everyone gasp and uh, realize the, the, the revelations that come with the twists that happen throughout the film as well. It was a, it's a blast. It's a great, it's a 
really good, solid, classically structured thriller, despite being on a screen life uh, film, essentially. And um, I saw a few other films, too. Um, I saw two films that fed my period piece needs. I'm a huge fan of period pieces. Um, and I saw first one that was more of a sort of rom-com and another that was a little bit more gothic. The first was the Guernsey Literary and Potato Peel Society, which that, is that, a That's a mouthful. <laughs> it's a mouthful. And it's based off a book of the same name, too. It's a Netflix film that stars Lily James as a writer in uh, post-World War II uh, Britain who is sort of uh, disillusioned with her life going around, going on book tours, selling her biggest, um, reading her, her biggest hit, which is uh, sort of a cheerful character that she wrote under a pseudonym and she's looking for her next story and discovers and receives this letter from a small island town uh off of the english channel uh guernsey who sends her a letter speaking about one of her early books that uh basically got had sold nothing and how it had helped save them during the occupation nazi occupation uh during the war essentially they had started this sort of fake book club to hide the fact that they were you know sort of congregating and uh gathering past curfew and everything and um one of her book was one of the ones that they read continuously so she sort of invites herself to visit this book club and of course falls in love with the rugged farm boy who wrote <laughs> her course. the letter who's played by dario from game of thrones dario naharis i don't know his real name i just call him dario uh dario number two by the way so it's not ed screen um what is his name uh, he's played by michael Huseman. Yes. Uh, and unfortunately, in the process, she ends up leaving Glenn Powell. This is not a spoiler. This is kind of written into the rom-com structure of it. And Glenn Powell is utterly charming. And I was watching this with my cousins who were a huge Glenn Powell stands. So we were very upset when she chose uh, Dario over him. Uh, fun fact, I tweeted about this and um, Glenn Powell liked my tweet about this. So if you're listening, Glenn Powell, we like you. You deserve better. Um, but the, Lily James is just so charming in this, uh, as usual. This is kind of the summer of Lily James after Mamma Mia, uh, in which, in the second story, too, in which she goes to an island and finds love. So I think that's hilarious. But she's just so good. Um, this film is so charming and just so quaint and lovely. Uh, I recommend it if you're looking for something that's just sweet and um, kind of along the lines of Netflix's uh, other rom-com revival films. So that's a great one. And I also ended up seeing another one that's kind of the polar opposite, The Little Stranger. So The Little Stranger is uh, also based off a book. It's post-World War II as well. It stars Donald Gleason. Uh, it's directed by Lenny Abrams Abrahamson, who uh, directed Room, the Oscar-winning film starring Brie Larson. And, um, or Oscar-nominated, I'm sorry. And uh, it's... It's very good. It's sort of a very strange movie that I don't really know how to categorize because it was marketed uh, and kind of mismarketed as a horror film and kind of a ghost story uh, that takes place in this gothic thriller type of film. But it's not really the case at all. It, it has gothic elements and it has scary supernatural elements, although those are sort of um, left to your interpretation as well. Um, but it's mostly just this atmospheric period film a period drama that blends in uh romance and is mostly about the um 
class divisions between uh, the the upper class elite who are kind of left in the state of uh, decay and and um, uh, at post World War Two and and uh, Donald Gleason plays a, a doctor who is uh, enamored with this house that he once visited as a child, uh, a mansion, and he ends up visiting the the house again to treat the family, and it's, it's fallen into ruin. The family is falling apart, and they may or may not be haunted by uh, the ghost of their younger sister. But it's it's very good. It's very strange. It kind of reminds me, in fact, of a, n- a non horror film, but the ra- the remains of the day in that. It, really deals with the oppressive nature of class divisions and how that can really crush a person's soul. Um, and in this case, kind of turn them a little bit psychotic. But it's it's really good. And I'm sad that it kind of got buried at the end of August because it deserves more of um, a reception than it got. Very cool. Ben, what have you been watching? Uh, so I finished Orange is the New Black season six recently. I, I talked, uh, this must have been a few weeks ago now, about the beginning of the season. And I was sort of defending it, saying that I really still enjoyed it. And it was better than a lot of the things that I was you know, still seeing on like network TV, for example. Uh, I am here to sort of um, eat my own words a little bit. Because while the first couple episodes of this season really like picked up and and sort of continued the story from last season it's it sort of uh season six really like grinds to a halt and it, it changes locations and i'm trying to say this without spoiling spoiling anything for people who are still like really invested in the show who just haven't caught up yet but there's a, a change of location in season six and it with that comes a bunch of new characters and the problem is introducing a bunch of new characters this late in a show like this Um, especially one that has such a vibrant supporting cast uh, full of really great characters that I love spending time with. The problem is these new characters in season six, I could not care any less about them at all. And most of the season, um, it's sort of the show thinks that we care a lot about these characters and we do not at all. So I'm it it actually soured me so much that I think I'm done with Orange is the New Black uh, overall. I think it's actually been renewed for another season, at least one more season, maybe two. Um, But I I think I'm out after that. I just (laughs) I can't uh, because a lot of those characters um, or at least some of them, some of the, the worst offenders are still around at the end of the season. So I just, I can't stomach the idea of the show trying to force feed me more stories of these characters that I just don't care about in, in place of the ones that I really do. So um, yeah, as much as I was high on the first, uh, first few episodes of the season, I have to say after finishing it, I was, uh, I did like a complete 180 on it. So um, sorry about that. If I led you astray by, uh, <laughs> by <laughs> any listeners out there by hyping up the first couple episodes um, movie wise, I finally caught up with uh, First Reformed, which features an incredible performance by Ethan Hawke. I mean, HT, I know, is a, is a big Ethan Hawke fan or stan or whatever uh, <laughs> in any number of, uh, of levels of Ethan Hawke fandom. HT is there. Um, and uh, I, I really like him as well. I think this is like some of his best work. And this is one of those movies that um, it, it just made me want to immediately watch it again. Uh, there's so much there going on in terms of like, uh, just like the layered storytelling and symbolism. And uh, this is uh, written and directed by Paul Schrader, the same guy who directed or who, who uh, wrote Taxi Driver. And um, you can feel the similarities there. You can feel the angriness, the, the, 
the rage that is building uh, underneath the surface of this movie. And uh, it really bubbles out in, in Hawk's performance in a really fascinating way. Um, I it's, it's the kind of movie that makes me want to immediately watch it again and then just go out and read as many great writers as there are out there on the Internet, you know, all of their takes about this movie, because I just want to hear I, I want to. <laughs> Um, I want to ingest all of uh, all of the first reform takes out there. So uh, that one is pretty great. I, I would highly recommend it. Although the ending, I think, is is probably going to be controversial for a lot of people. Um, my, I know that uh, between my wife and I, it, it it sort of split our household a little bit in terms of like our opinion on the movie. We were we were both on board, and then she was not necessarily as on board with the end of the movie as I was. But uh, so that's that that's first reformed. It's out on, um, on home video right now. And then I also uh, caught up with get Carter, this movie from 1971 that stars Michael Caine. It's a, a British crime action movie. And I just, I recorded it from TCM. Um, I, I'd heard of this film, but never had a chance to see it. And anything with young Michael Caine, I, I'd seen uh, The Italian Job, the, the original. Um, so I was looking for something sort of in that vein where you get to see young Michael Caine, you know, stomping around and blasting guys with shotguns and <laughs> just messing around. Uh, this movie is, it's sort of a strange film. It's, it's um, very, very, very of its time. So it is it is a British movie from 1971 in every sense of the word. And uh, the pacing and the characterizations and everything are it's basically like an old film noir story, but updated for 1971 instead of taking place in like the, the 30s or 40s. And, you know, there are the same types of plot elements like the whole film is about Michael Kink's character going back to his hometown to uh, find out what happened to his brother who was murdered. And there are all sorts of, you know, skeevy criminals in the town. And there's like a subplot about pornography, which is also a huge thing that happens in a ton of old film noir stories. Um, it really just like the, the noir parallels struck me a lot. And, and this is basically like the equivalent of a modern noir in 1971. So uh, the ending of that one is, <laughs> is also pretty controversial as well. If anybody has seen Get Carter, you know exactly what I'm talking about. The ending of this movie um, sort of takes a turn there. Uh, so yeah, I just wanted to uh, give a quick shout out to that. I, I don't know if I would fully recommend it unless you are a big fan of old noir movies like that and and can sort of appreciate those parallels because for you know modern audiences to just sit down and watch get carter i'm not sure if <laughs> if people would enjoy that experience as much but um sort of looking at it through the appropriate uh, historical lenses i think there's um there's some value to be gleaned there see i've never seen get carter i've only seen the uh the 2000 is it a remake with sylvester stallone Oh yeah, I knew that yeah. existed, but I've never seen that one either. It, it's horrible. I would not. Uh, I would <laughs> definitely not check it out. And it definitely did not interest me in seeing uh, the original. But uh, I see that a lot of people like it, uh, even though it seems like you're not. You're hesitant to. Yeah, recommend I'm. It. I'm. I'm sort of on the fence in terms of a recommendation. I, I feel like there's a lot of other things that you could be watching that give you that same uh, atmospheric vibe from the '70s, uh, like British movies, but. Um, but yeah, I, I'm, uh, if you're adventurous enough, then go for it. Let's move on to what we've been eating, Brad, uh, because you've been traveling and uh, hanging out with uh, your girlfriend. You've been eating all sorts of interesting things. Tell us about it. Indeed. Uh, so while we were in Chicago, uh, after we went to the Laugh Factory, it was a little late and most of the normal places that we might have gone to eat in Chicago were closing down. Uh, but we found that this uh, place that is actually extremely popular uh, called O Cheval was uh, still open, stays open really late. And this is the kind of place where people wait 
hours to get into this um, restaurant because they're you don't they don't take reservations. It's first come first serve, and there's just a lot of word that goes around as far as like how good their food is and things like that. Um, and so we went late at night. It was like around 10:30 or so to see if we could get in, and we only had to wait about 10 minutes and got in there. And so it's 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 simply described as a diner style bar and restaurant with a passion for eggs. They have a lot of uh, entrees and appetizers and stuff that incorporate eggs into um, what they cook uh, for their you know various foods that they provide. And uh, their menu uh, changes as well, but they do have some staples that they're known for. Um, and so we uh, split a couple different things. Um, we got what is called General Jane's Honey Fried Chicken with uh, chili, ses- sesame seeds, and cilantro, which was this incredible... Uh, fried chicken. It had just the right amount of spice to it, so that it wasn't hot in your mouth, but just it had just a good a good kick and good spice. Um, we also had uh, foie gras with scrambled eggs and toast, which was so filling but so delicious. Uh, and then we also had uh, uh, crispy fries with mornay sauce, garlic aioli, and uh, covered in a fried farm egg. So, like I said, lots of eggs. Um, and it was just, it was seriously so good. The food there was amazing. If you ever, if you are in the Chicago area again, uh, and have a chance to check out Ocheval, definitely give it a chance, uh, give yourself some time to wait because you might be waiting a while or just try to go late at night on a weekday like we did. And that's not the only thing you've been eating. It is not. Um, so when we arrived in Chicago, before we got to our hotel, we were walking down the street from the parking garage where I left my car. And we stumbled upon uh, the Chicago, one of the sh- Chicago locations for Magnolia Bakery, uh, which was, you know, very famous in New, uh, New York City. Um, became even more famous because it's referenced in Saturday Night Live's as a digital short, Lazy Sunday. And of course, we wanted to get cupcakes, but we also saw that they had a special uh, flavor of the month for their banana pudding, which is especially famous, and many people say is even better than their cupcakes. It is. And so, so for September, they had peanut butter banana pudding, so we got uh, a container of that and split it, and it is, hands down, the best pudding I've ever had. Uh, it, is, it is just so incredibly sweet and delicious, and like I, I wish I, oh, I would have gotten more to bring home with me because it is just outstanding. Brad, I live in a location in 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 Los Angeles where I can Postmates a banana pudding for with free delivery. It's dangerous. From uh, Magnolia Bakery. Uh, anyways, let's get into the war of the best fried chicken because Jacob and Ben, you both uh, had some some of the best fried chicken you've ever had this past week. Let's start with Jacob. Uh, tell us about yeah. it. Yeah, I went to a fried, new, uh, new-ish fried chicken place called T22 in Austin. And it's actually the uh, brick-and-mortar location for a successful food truck, which is often the case with the hot new restaurants in the city. And this restaurant won't be for everyone. Uh, there are certain people who I know who like their fried chicken different ways. But for me, I always like my fried chicken spicy. And every time I go to a place that says, we offer fried chicken regular and spicy, I always order spicy and I'm always bummed out. because It's never spicy enough. The spicy is not f- interestingly flavored. It doesn't have the kick I want from it. But T22 offers five different levels of spice on either fried chicken, fried chicken sandwiches, or chicken strips. And I ordered the hottest version. And it was very flavorful, very delicious. I have a high tolerance for spice, so my mouth was able to take it. But when I accidentally wiped my, my nose with uh, my grease-covered fingers, 
my nose started burning from the spice to give you an idea of how serious the heat is here. So it's if you're kind of person who wants you know a, a more mild traditional fried chicken, this won't be for you. But for me, who really likes the spice, who really likes um, uh, food to have that temperature and that heat, uh, then yes, this is the best fried chicken I've ever had. Yeah, T twenty two is the a kind of fried chicken called Nashville style fried chicken, which it usually comes in very hot flavors. That's also what uh, Ben experienced this past week. Ben, tell us about it. Yeah, so I went to Howlin' Ray's, and Jacob, it sounds like you would really enjoy this place. Um, Peter, I know you talked about Howlin' Ray's on a previous episode of this podcast. I think um, maybe we can link to that in the show notes, so I won't go on about it forever. But it, it basically does the same thing of, of Nashville-style chicken, which is just extremely hot. I mean, this place has um, it has a bunch of, let's see, one, two, three, six different uh, uh, categorizations. And I got medium, which is like the third from the bottom uh, <laughs> for a sandwich. And it was like pretty, I mean, it's like the perfect chicken sandwich. I loved every bite of it. It's not, it, it's spicy enough that you can definitely feel it, but it's not enough to make you start crying. And my wife got hot, which is one step above that. And that one, it was like I took one bite of it and was down for the count. Like I could not, I could not take it. It was like my eyes were watering, my sinuses instantly cleared. It was one of those things where <laughs> it took, you know, it took multiple minutes for the heat to go away, even for a bite that was like the size of a quarter or something. It was, it's, it's uh, very, very intense. And that's like, I can't imagine eating a whole sandwich of that. Um, but that, Jacob, that's only like, the second level. Or wait, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, that, that that's the thing. There there are two more levels above that um, that are on the menu, and there's actually one that's not on the menu. That's like an extra one. I guess you have to like sign some sort of release form or something for them to actually yeah. feed you this um, because it's just absolutely insane. But uh, yeah, there there are videos of people on YouTube who are just like eating the howlin' and just breaking down. So um, I I would just recommend uh, going for the medium if you're going to Howlin' Rays. But it's one of those places where you have to stand in line for a long time. We got there at nine. 45 a.m. on a Saturday and didn't uh, place our order until like 12 15 um, so it was perfect timing for lunch but uh, if you're not willing to wait in line um, I don't know maybe go right before they close or something like that but uh, for the weekends there's definitely going to be long lines at Howlin' Ray's in LA you still have to wait uh, when they close they close the line I think at 7 p.m. and still they won't close until the last person served and still it's probably like a two-hour wait at that point uh it's insane i highly recommend if you ever go back ben get their uh chicken and waffles which they have on the weekend only which i oh yeah they actually they gave we sat at the counter and they gave us some free fries and free waffles as well so um i got to take those home and have them for breakfast the next morning and uh yeah those waffles are super sweet yeah i feel like you can get like one more level of hotness as long as you get the uh the maple syrup and the waffles with it because it cuts uh, that yeah. sweetness cuts the hut a little bit. Um, yeah, if, if you're ever in LA, check out Hauling Rays if 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 you can afford to uh, waste you know a couple hours in line. Uh, let's move on to what we've been playing. I'll go through this pretty quick. Over the weekend, I went to Strategicon, which is a board game convention uh, held three times a year in Los Angeles. Um, I played a bunch of games with some friends, including Splendor, which I won't talk about here, but it's a great gateway game. Uh, the one I really wanted to highlight is this game called Thanos Rising, which is a uh, 
a USAopoly game based on uh, Avengers Infinity War. And basically you're playing uh, heroes from the Marvel Universe taking on Thanos. Uh, it's a cooperative game. Uh, you're rolling dice, collecting cards, and uh, you basically got to stop Thanos before he completes the Infinity Gauntlet or kills off uh, one all of the heroes of one uh, member's team. Uh, we did not uh, defeat Thanos. We were we were we were uh, a very easy match for him. It's a tough game, and we were playing the easy game. Uh, I don't usually recommend USAopoly games, but this game was a lot of fun. So if you're looking for a game, and it, it's pretty easy too, so it's not like a, a you know a game that you need to have some tabletop knowledge. If you're looking for a game to to get uh, on the table with your group of of Marvel fans, I uh, recommend Thanos Rising highly. And uh, the other game that we played is we played a first game of Charterstone, which is uh, by Stonemeyer Games. It's uh, uh, the latest in uh, a genre of board games called Legacy Games, which is basically you're playing a campaign that can only be played once, and throughout the campaign of the game, over the series of, you know, a dozen or two dozen games, you were... Uh, permanently changing the game board, you know, putting stickers, ripping up cards, and like the the thing is evolving over time uh, as you play the game. Uh, Charterstone is a worker placement game. It's it's a lot of fun. It seems to lack the story bits that I love from like Pandemic Legacy and like the oh uh, shit moments of that kind of game. But uh, I'm excited to play more and see how it, it evolves over time. Uh, Brad. What have you been playing? So I went to a Liberty cookout over the weekend uh, down in Lafayette to see some friends. And we usually play some games when we were down there. And so uh, one of my friends picked up this game called Red Flagged, which is basically like kind of like a, a dating version of Cards Against Humanity, I guess you could say. Basically, you, you there's two different kinds of cards. There's white cards and red cards on the white cards you get traits that you would like to see in a significant other like someone who's extremely generous or somebody who has uh you know a a a million dollar golden jet or uh owns your favorite sports team stuff like that and you lay down two of those desirable traits and then the player next to you lays down a red card which is a red flag, which is something, uh, a terrible trait that you would absolutely not want uh, a given significant other to have. And then uh, one of the people has to choose which of those people that you would go out on a date with. And so there's like debating that comes into it and trying to defend your person and trying to convince them why they're the better pick of the people who have all these great traits, but also have one terrible trait that kind of ruins everything. (laughs) Sounds like fun. Uh, let's move on to uh, what Jacob has been playing. It's been a little quiet for me on the board game front, uh, but I did attend my regular D&D game. It's Dungeons & Dragons uh, that a friend uh, hosts and runs, and we've been running it running it for over a year now, and it's a game every month or two by someone people can get together. And there's something kind of relaxing about Dungeons & Dragons. I mean, it's the most famous RPG in the world. It's having its best year ever, from what I understand, or maybe best couple of years ever in terms of sales. The 5th edition is really good, an improvement over 4th edition. It's not a game I would run. There are other RPGs that I enjoy more, I think are more clever, offer more storytelling opportunities, maybe more inviting to newbies, and are easy to get to the table. Uh, But there's something just so nostalgic about 
pretending to be an elf or a warrior and cutting down orcs and monsters in a dungeon. It's such a fun game. And as an excuse for getting together with your friends and just, you know, chit-chatting in between having adventures, I don't think anything has ever topped RPGs for me. It's probably my, one of my favorite things to do on the earth. And there's never been a better time to try RPGs. And that's I'm using this as an excuse to say that. I mean, Dungeons & Dragons is great. If that sounds fun, try it. But the world of this genre of gaming is so huge right now and so much fun. And uh, this this weekend, this, this weekend game was a reminder of how much I love role-playing games. Very cool. Ben, you played the latest Spider-Man video game for PlayStation 4. Tell us about it. Yeah, so I wrote a review and actually did a video review as well. So I'll just be very, very brief here and encourage everybody to go check those out if you want more detailed thoughts. But uh, long story short, this is everything I've ever wanted in a Spider-Man game. I sort of grew up playing uh, one of the Spider-Man games for PlayStation 2 like 14 years ago or something like that. Uh, My friend and I would play all the time together. And this is um, it's the better version of that. This reminds me a lot of the Batman Arkham video game series that Rocksteady put together. Uh, this is done by Insomniac Games, and it, it basically just ports over a lot of the same combat options and things like that, but with Spider-Man instead of Batman. And the the thing of you swinging through the streets of New York City in this game is so incredible. It is exhilarating. It's fun. It is like... I mean, I can't imagine anybody playing this and coming away disappointed because the story is great. The characters are great. Um, There's like Mary Jane Watson and Miles Morales and a ton of different characters show up over the course of it. It's not based on any um, comic book storyline or movie storylines, but it's a whole new separate thing. Although, of course, there are elements of those uh, those properties sort of woven throughout. Um, But it, it feels cinematic and huge and Uh, personal and um, yeah it's just it's really fantastic if you have a PlayStation 4 and are even remotely interested in Spider-Man in any way you have to buy Marvel Spider-Man because it's it's a a total blast very if I haven't bought a PlayStation 4 yet is it worth buying a PlayStation 4 just to play (laughs) Spider-Man if you like I mean that that's wait wait how, how much money of investment is that uh I think the PlayStation is like 250 dollars right now is that right Oh, that that's not bad for a PS4. So t- two hundred fifty, um, and then another fifty dollars for the game. Maybe, so, so Ben, is it I'm, worth three hundred dollars? Maybe it's like, <laughs> maybe I'm wrong though. Yeah, it's like three hundred dollars. It looks like. So let's call it three fifty for this experience. I think so. Um, I mean, you know, if you're <laughs> if you're considering, I, I'm not even joking. Like, if you're considering getting, especially because like Red Dead Redemption Two is also coming out soon. So, um, if you like open world games like that, I mean, I feel like buy uncharted 4 and this and red dead redemption 2 and you'll be set for like i don't know a year and a half or something if you just want to keep it to those three games in terms of like replayability and all of the different areas you can explore and stuff especially if you like spider-man yeah brad i would say it's worth it like it's so much fun yeah because from i everything i've seen from this game like it has looked awesome because it looks like just an, an upgraded and enhanced version of the Spider-Man 2 game that you could play on Xbox back when that movie came out. Yeah. Uh, because that was also open world and it was a sandbox style environment with Spider-Man. And, you know, there was no real story mode that you were forced to follow. You know, you choose what you wanted to do. You could just swing around and just bust up small crimes and stuff. And, like, the world changed as you evolved as Spider-Man and spent more time fighting villains and criminals. And this just looks like an awesome, like, high-tech, you know, version of that. It really is, yeah. That's the game that I grew up playing was that Spider-Man 2 game. And, yeah, if you liked that one, you're going to absolutely love this. 
Ooh. And I want to reiterate that uh, Ben has a written review and a video review of this game on the site, uh, which we'll link in the show notes. And he goes into a lot of detail about why this game works. So make sure you check that out. Yeah, and I'm, I'm sure, uh, Brad, maybe you could find a uh, used console uh, on sale on a, a GameStop or something. for, Or, or maybe like it, it could be like, you know, a, a Slash film purchase. <laughs> I, I, I don't see that uh, being worth the money in any way. <laughs> <laughs> hey Brad, I'll Stop sell you my I'll sell you my PlayStation Four if you sell me if you buy me a PlayStation Four Pro. <laughs> like a bad deal. <laughs> Brad, maybe you should start a GoFundMe page or buy Brad a PlayStation Four. Hey people, help me buy a luxury item. <laughs> Brad, after you're done with it, you can give it to me so I can pay, play Kingdom Hearts three. See there. Let's, let's just buy a community PlayStation Four, and we'll just pass it around when there's games that we want to play. It'll be like our sisterhood of the traveling pants. PS Four. Okay, that brings us to the end of uh, today's Slash Film Daily. Uh, we we we've gone way overboard, but you can uh, you can find links to Ben's Spider Man review, Matt's uh, Demon Wind review, and also uh, me talking about Howling Rays on a past version of Water Cooler in the show notes and on SlashFilm.com. Uh, you can find uh, this podcast, Slash Film Daily, published every weekday on SlashFilm.com in all the popular podcast apps that includes iTunes. Google Play, Overcast, Spotify. Please feel free to send us your feedback, questions, comments, concerns to Peter at SlashFilm.com. Leave your name and general geographic location in case you mention the email on the air. And as always, I beg of you, go to iTunes, give us a good review, uh, spread the word, tell your friends, and we will see you tomorrow. Uh, Peter, I have a certain book open. We can't stop the show yet. Oh, oh no. God. The book has returned. Yes. <laughs> Once again, it is time for the gargantuan book of insult, offense, and effrontery. I've opened to a random page, and I have found a bunch of insults about dentists that I will now apply to all of you. <clears throat> hey, HT, they call what? you the dentist because you bore everyone to tears. Uh... Hey. <laughs> Hey, Peter, they call you the dentist because you live from hand to mouth. Uh, That's mean. Hey, Brad, they call you the dentist because you always look down in the mouth. (laughs) Hey, Ben, they call you the dentist because you work largely on nerve. I mean, what what is this for? This is just like for if you have friends who are dentists and you're looking for dentist specific insult. I I don't understand this book. Hey, don't, the word "largely on nerve" one is kind of a comment, isn't it? Because it's kind of calling you like you got a lot of nerve. Yeah, you got some moxie, kid. Yeah, <laughs> gumption. <laughs> I, I don't like. Wait, when would people even need to have a dentist themed? insult i don't i don't understand this maybe for one of those roasts that brad goes to <laughs> yeah plus plus people hate dentists so maybe when you go in like after you get your mouth worked on you just be like hey dentist take this <laughs> suck on that <laughs> all this does is just make me think about that seinfeld episode about the anti-dentite which is way funnier than anything that's in that book <laughs> J- jacob gives us one more to, to close out the show all right well, one, one more for each of you yes all right, I'm opening up to a random page. <clears throat> this is from the Tightwads chapter. So all these insults <laughs> be related to Tightwads. Peter is a cheerful giver. Cheerful because he gets away with giving as little as possible. <laughs> uh, ben is so tight, he even refuses to perspire freely. <laughs> uh, 
Brad is still <laughs> single, every time he went, was ready to get married, the price of rice went up. Oh, boy. Uh, let's see. Uh, HT, uh, when you drink a glass of soda, you tickle a mule to get a kick out of it. <laughs> wow. W- when was this book published? We <laughs> <laughs> open the copyright page. Um, 1935? What? What? Oh, that makes uh, a lot of sense now. No, that's, a, that's a joke. Uh, initially 1990, he renewed in 2014. Wow. That is shocking. 